Welcome to the Faithful Teaching Podcast, an exploration of how faith in Jesus impacts our view of who we teach, what we teach, and how we teach. We're your hosts, James Walker, Mike Alvarez, and Joseph Jasper. today is Lori Krieg. She is the founder and executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries, a compassionate teaching, writing, and mentoring ministry for people wrestling with sexuality. Lori is also a writer and speaker, often being seen at HIMH's Caring Well Conference. She can be heard on her weekly podcasts, also alongside Dr. Preston Sprinkle on the mini-documentary Dear Church, I'm Gay at the Q Conference and on Dr. Sprinkle's podcast. Lori also serves on the board of directors at the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. So I just want to, if you wanted to take an opportunity, if you could just introduce yourself, tell us about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Lori Krieg, and I'm the vice president at Hole in My Heart Ministries. And what we do there, it's twofold. We are cultivators of wholeness and holiness in people who are wrestling with issues related to sexuality. And we are promoters of safe spaces. We create safe spaces for people with issues related to sexuality. So we really want to help people in the, on the inside, but we also understand that it can't only be internal. It's, we have to have safe spaces for them. So we're really all about bridging the gap between LGBT people and the church while still holding on to theological faithfulness, but also with courageous love. Great. Thank you. Well, and then I guess just to start things off with a question, as you talk about bridging gaps between LGBT, LGBT people and the church, Um, We are a Christian school, and we're having this podcast, recording this podcast to talk about what it means to be a Christian school. Yeah. Why should we, as a Christian school, in a conversation about who we teach, what we teach, and how we teach, why should we be talking about sexual orientation and LGBT issues? Well, because you have people in your school who are wrestling with it, so... There's a different, there's a bunch of different numbers that you can get. You know, there's one that says it's about two to three percent of people identify as LGBT. Millennials actually identify at a higher rate. I've seen some studies that are about eight, nine percent. And then there's another one, a study, and this is, this is not like Christian studies. And these are like really well respected. There's another one that says around 11% of people who wrestle at some level with some form of same-sex attraction. Now, gender identity is a smaller percent, um, you know, closer to that 1%. But they're in your school. You know, there's people who are secretly wrestling. And the only option, honestly, that's been available for people, and that I thought was available for me as a Christian wrestling with my own sexuality in a Christian environment was to wrestle quietly, quietly, quietly until you come out in a fiery glory. So it's like this silent internal angst Mm. often paired with self-hatred. And I'm just going to add a little rabbit trail on that real quick. I really think self-hatred, I'm not saying self-denial, not self-denial that Jesus calls every (laughs) human to. I'm saying self-hatred 
where you say, I am worthless. I honestly think that is a doorway for the enemy to just walk through and wreak havoc on your life. Hmm. So if those kids, those young people, those teenagers are in our schools secretly wrestling and perhaps secretly wrestling with self-hatred as well, hmm. wouldn't we want to reach out? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is my overt goal. It used to be my secret goals. My overt goal for the church to be a safe place for people to wrestle with anything. Hmm. And I think that you all are an extension of the church. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and you would say with absolute certainty, there are students here who struggle with sexual identity. Oh, without a question. I just, it's funny, you know, we, we, we speak at very conservative churches and some liberal more liberal ones and this conservative ones. We, we don't have that problem here. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, <laughs> just let me talk. Just give me like 20 minutes. <laughs> so I go without a doubt, without a doubt, it will be people come to us in the dead of night. It's usually 1am email of yes, me too. Thank you. Help me. And it's not help me because I'm the worst. It's help me because I feel like I am the worst mm-hmm. because I haven't felt safe to talk about this. Yeah. And I'll just add on, you know, I know we talked about this uh, before when we were talking about what to share on here of just some of the stats of LGBT youth or people who wrestle with, you know, who don't identify, they're just wrestling at some level. And those people, those young people are two to four times more likely to attempt suicide. They're eight times more likely to attempt suicide in highly rejecting homes. Hmm. So... Let's say you feel like your home isn't safe, like where you can wrestle with anything. You're eight times more likely to attempt suicide. Mm-hmm. 41% of transgender people have attempted have attempted suicide. So it's not even like may attempt. Jeez. It's like have done it compared to 1.8% of the general population. 1.8 versus 41. <laughs> um, and then you just look at homelessness. So 46% of LGBT youth run out run because of family rejection. This is the stat that messes that really messed me up recently is, okay, so let's say 7%, 8% of this generation identifies at some level or wrestles at some level with LGBT-related um, issues. Let's, okay, that's the everyday population. 40% of homeless youth, 40% identify as LGBT. So they're getting kicked out. Hmm. And one out of three of those homeless youth they will be approached by a sex trafficker within 48 hours. Jeez. So is that okay? And this is the thing. We often share those stats in, um, or we're starting to share them more in Christian circles. And some people, the reaction is nothing. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? Why are we not wrecked by this? Yeah. And I think one of it, one of the reasons could be, we've already, we already know all these stats. We already know it. Two, we're cold and heartless jerks. <laughs> three we haven't been given permission to care and do you know who gives me permission to care jesus christ when i read john 8 i was recent i was just reading that and i was like what was the first thing jesus did with the woman who was caught in sexual sin did he say oh 
girl picks up a rock, you know, you go and sin no more. No, no, no. That was the last thing he said. The first thing he did is he saved her life so that he could show her the gospel. He saved her life. He stepped in. He pointed the finger back at the people surrounding, at the hypocrites, honestly. We don't know what he wrote, but he at least convicted their hearts. We know that because they walked away. Then he said, neither do I condemn you. Removed condemnation, which condemnation for me, the difference between condemnation and conviction is this. Condemnation says you are, all of you, worthless. Your whole person, worthless. Conviction says that thing you're doing, that pinpointed piece, that maybe we should confess that to the Lord, what you're doing there. Which is the difference, I would say, between wrestling with temptation and engaging in behavior. So he said, neither do I condemn you than the last thing, go and sin no more. And she was wrecked by that outrageous love. So Jesus gives me permission to want to save the lives of LGBT kids so that the gospel can be preached. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Lori, real quick, if I could ask you one question. Uh, you've used this term a few times, and I'd uh, love for you to define it. Uh, you've said that you want to create safe spaces uh, mm-hmm. for people to uh, communicate in. And that's something that I've heard misunderstood in the past, and uh, even panned as something that we shouldn't have. Um, would you mind defining what that is uh, for those in our audience that don't understand? Yeah. So when I say safe spaces, I'm thinking of safe churches and safe marriages and safe friendships. And so what does safe look like? You know, I'm sure perhaps what people are thinking is it's just a space where you can just do whatever you want. I'm just going to love you, which to that, and then I'll talk about what safety looks like. But to that love piece is what is love is that's where I usually just get into a conversation with some of my atheist LGBT friends is like, you just don't love me. And I'm like, well, what's love? And I really want to know. It's not like I'm like ready for the answer to tell you. (laughs) It's like, no, I really want to know what your definition of love is and how is it aligned to mine? And, um, and where are the similarities? Where do we agree? Not just disagree where I can just shove your nose in your wrongness. And so I listen and then I just think about first Corinthians 13. It's like love's patient, kind, but one of those, one of the descriptors is love rejoices when the truth wins out. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, rejoicing, and that's the NLT actually says that version. And it's like, so then, then we got to get into what's true. So if I love you, I'm going to want you to look like truth. Mm-hmm. And what is truth? Who is truth? Do we have a model for someone who like models truth? And all of a sudden I start looking at the Bible and it's like, man, so what? What, if this is true, or is this true? Maybe that's the question. Mm-hmm. And then we get into the theology piece. So when, when we start talking about love, we immediately shift into truth because that is integral to love. So safe spaces, I think, are made up of safe people, which safe people know how to love and safe people know that balance between love and grace and truth. And for me... The safest people, I just met with a group of senior pastors yesterday, and I said, you know what? If you know that the gospel is good news for you every day, too, you're already halfway there to write in your sermon about how to love LGBT people. Mm -hmm. Because if you can look through your own lens of brokenness 
and not from a lens of you, you all, you people, but it's me too, man. Oh, this is how I am dying to self and living for Christ. Mm-hmm. Holy, tell me about how hard that is. That sounds, you have to, you had to give up that relationship. That sounds painful. It's like, it's really grieving with those who grieve and counting the cost with people. But I really think the safest people are number one, get grace for themselves. Number two, are humble. And so I, there's, I have a lot of conversations and meeting with pastors and a, and a lot of them I can tell are a little nervous to talk to me because they're like, I'm going to say the wrong thing. <laughs> but you know what? I just say right off the bat, honestly, if you even just say that, like, I don't know what I don't know. There's a 70 year old guy I wrote. He's a great guy. I co-wrote a book with him and he's like, Lori, I am a white card carrying heterosexual and I do not know what I don't know. Yeah. Will you teach me? And I was like, Oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so humility, humility is so attractive because that's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then too, like safe people do get some of the language pieces. So there is, it's like when you're going in anywhere, if you're going to any, you know, mission field, you got to learn the language. And so this isn't just, Oh, you know, liberal oversensitivity. This is like language training, love training. And so learning some of that. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Those are pieces. There's a few more, but those are integral. Yeah. Well, and I think a a big question and something I encounter a lot in the church and in the current environment is the, the speaking the truth in love portion um, there's such an emphasis on truth and a pride in the truth and almost like this warrior for the truth where it's, it's almost seen as an unsafe space to lead with love for students, for LGBT persons, whatever that would be. What would you say to people who are like, Do you know, if, I, if I lead in love like this, then I'm creating an unsafe, unsafe space because then people are going to miss the gospel, or I, I don't know how to word that any better. But. Yeah, 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 I know. It's like my friend Bill Henson out in um, Boston, he's like, he meets, he's trained some 40,000 pastors, and he said, you'll get the question, when can I tell them they're wrong? Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're yeah. holding the grenade, they're like, can I say it now? Can I say it now? Yep. <laughs> I've been really nice for like 24 hours. <laughs> and so it's like this feeling of, oh, I just want to hit them. And um, I honestly think it's a whole, it's not even like grace or truth. For me, this, this is another passage that it's the Bible that messes me up and is training me in all of this. So John 17, Jesus is saying, is praying. And he says, my prayer is not only for the disciples now, but for those in the future. And he says, Father, make them one as you and I are one. As they are in me and I am in you and they are in us. And that is how the world will know that you, that we, we're God essentially. And so I'm thinking on this, like oneness, huh? That's church, right? So that's, it it says in Colossians about how his sinews, Christ's sinews are the ones that bind us all together. So if, if I'm looking at my, let's, let's say it's staunch, liberal, pride, flag draping, person, you know, like they are just right there. And I am very, very conservative and I am just mad, mad, mad. Instead of me just like holding on to this like truth grenade and be like, can I do it now? Can I do it now? Can I do it now? (laughs) It's more, I look at this person. I'm like, father, make us one Mm. as you and I are one. Mm. 
So I want to be one with this person in the spirit with Christ as the head. So how can I be invite this person not into a theology of no, but into a exciting theology of the body of Christ? And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay, how, what do I need to let go of in order for our hearts to connect? And then we look like what? What do we need to look like to be one? There needs to be a model. What's the model? Jesus the Christ. Amen. <laughs> and so the goal, Christ-likeness, is also the mode. Yep. <laughs> the way is also, the goal and the way are the same. And so Jesus helped me to truly love my sister right there who is draped in the colorful flag just got done marching in a parade because I love her so much. I want her to look like Jesus Christ. And so honestly, it's not even a matter of which sentence do I say now? Is it the good one or the bad one? It's a heart motivation of oneness in the body of Christ. So based on what you were just saying, I was thinking the whole time about how we so often say that all sins are the same. And it comes up a lot, probably a little bit more frequently when it comes to homosexuality, LGBT topics. Um, so the way you're describing it kind of made me realize, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, wow, it's like it's the same as every other sin, which is kind of revealing to me in the way that I think about it. Um, can you speak a little bit more to, um, yeah, that statement and how we deal with that? Yeah. So I think if we really like sit and think about it and we are able to like restructure it, like, okay, oneness in the body, what do I need to let go of? What idols do I need to shake off? And what and equally to my sister over there, then it's like, okay, I can get on board, but it's very telling what we actually believe when we're in stressful or tense situations or where, where it's not necessarily, it, I'll just use the phrase, but heteronormative. And mm-hmm. here's where I really see that. Silo ministries, such as women's ministry, mm-hmm. men's ministry. Mm-hmm. I, on the whole, our church, my church in particular, can be a bit better at this because, well, I'm a leader in it. Yeah. <laughs> working on it also. <laughs> but, um, and, and they're really working. But um, on the whole, I can go to any women's ministry and be like, I'm just really struggling with anxiety and I, my kids and I just a little bit of pride. You know, those are safe sins to talk about. But I go to women's ministry. I'm like, yeah, I struggle with same sex attraction. <laughs> you, you, oh, let's go in the women's ministry together. You want to share a room together? Right. Oh, boy, you're sure quivering over there. You know, like. Uh-huh. They don't know. And it's, it's a lot of it is it's not like they're intending to hurt me. It's just, they don't know what they don't know. And I'm learning to do some more increasingly grieving of that because it's painful, but also some father forgive them because they really don't know what they do. They need to understand this or men. Let's talk about men's ministry. So we work with a lot of guys who wrestle with pornography, gay and straight pornography, straight dudes who wrestle with straight porn can go into any men's ministry and talk about it and get a big bear hug and bro it up and bro, bro, bro. Mm -hmm. What if that same bro said, I struggle with gay porn and he's also married to a woman, but he hates himself, self-hatred and he is wrestling with this. Will he still get a big hug? Is he still invited on the camping retreat? Mm. Can he share a tent with you and you're not going to be all weird? I'm saying we, it is revealed in these silo ministries and it is revealed when we're under stress and duress 
And so this is why I, I press the heart so much. So the theology is important. The safe spaces posture is important, but it starts here knowing grace for myself and my need for Jesus so that I can look at anyone. And my immediate response is not even like I flash. Oh, great. But it's like, of course, I love you the same. And I love you enough to want to make you look like Jesus. Mm. Just like I want to look like Jesus. I'm wondering if maybe you can help us with this. Because that springs on a new topic. Or rather, I think they go along with it. But furthering the conversation of our reaction. Because we three heterosexual males probably don't struggle with same-sex attraction. But how do we then talk to someone in that place where we're still showing them love and everything? And then how do we talk to other people who are in the same position? Because I know we have, I certainly have friends who don't understand it. Mm -hmm. And maybe they're going to respond in that way that, like you were saying, that group of of bros that aren't going to give that guy the bear hug or... Mm -hmm aren't going to invite him to the camp ministry or whatever it may be. What are, yeah. what are ways that you've seen successful conversations and successful interactions within those kind of situations? Um, mm -hmm. Because that'll be helpful for us just in general, I think, yeah. in school, yeah. in church, in yeah. teaching, no matter what. That goes but far beyond the classroom. And yeah. I think that's something mm -hmm. that hasn't been talked about really. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I can restate the question, so you're like, if someone, are you saying is like identifies as LGBT and is talking to you, or are you saying is someone who's wrestling with it, how do you like, what do you say? Ooh, that's good clarification. Uh, and I think both situations will mm -hmm. at some point come up. And I don't, so, I don't yeah. know if one is more difficult than the other. For me, I love them both because I'm like, ooh, someone to get to know. And, like, <laughs> what's your story? So here's the thing. And that is that if in doubt, switch it out. That's, like, my little thing. So somebody talks to you, identifies as LGBT, or they are wrestling with it. If all you're thinking in your head is gay sex, gay sex, like, like you're freaking out. It, like, and you're like, ah, I can't freak out. Stop freaking out. But you're like, you know, prefrontal <laughs> cortex is exploding with anxiety. <laughs> so think if it doubt, switch it out. So just say, okay, let's do, okay, sin is sin. What's a sin I can more easily digest is, oh, they're sleeping with their opposite gender boyfriend or girlfriend before marriage. Oh, human. I'm talking to a human hmm. or someone who's wrestling. Like if it's gender identity, okay, this is someone who has like some internal angst. Have I ever had internal angst about my own identity at whatever level, you know, thing when you're 13, <laughs> does any of us know who we are? No. Hmm. So I uh, try at any level to just start to just to deflate the like explosion of anxiety that literally shuts your ability to, <laughs> to process down. Yeah. And then to just start asking questions. So here is a, a person. Tell me about your story. You, this is a, these are good. So what was that like for you coming out? 80, I think it's 86% of LGBT people come from a faith background. Hmm. So what's your, what's your story? What's your journey? I'm guessing you're going to probably hear a lot of rejection. Oh, that sounds really hard. When we give talks in this, restate feelings. If Again, your explosion still. What do you hear? You hear an emotion. That sounds really painful. 
You don't have to interpret it. You don't have to say, I think that's sin. You can just say a statement, a true one. That sounds really hard. Mm. That is hard. And so just to start, because they, many people with whom we work, and I think people in general right now, period, no matter what your identity or struggle is, are rejection junkies. We are waiting to be rejected. We are waiting for you to say you hate me because we have, I personally, it's even in those minor eye flashes, like of the like, what do I do with this chick? Like rejection, like minor rejection, minor rejection. And it's, um, so if you can instead, if in doubt, switch it out and then just look for emotion. That sounds hard. Tell me your story. When you say you experience same sex attractions or when you say you're gay or when you say you're gender queer, What's that mean? That's totally acceptable. That's the humility piece. That's humility. Can you teach me more about that? Like, I'd really love to hear your story. None of what I'm saying is I agree with your theology. We're so afraid of like being affirming and of being like, and affirming is, you know, saying God agrees with same sex behavior or allows it. Affirm the human mm -hmm. to infinity. This is a image bearer mm -hmm. that God knit together in a mama's womb. And so image bearer and just to affirm them as humans. And then just like you, can I, can I go to you, James, and just be like, dude, I totally disagree with this, this, this about you. No, <laughs> I got to earn that right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I got to be listening to the spirit. And so that's the same with any human. But on the last piece, one piece of your question, I really want to highlight, how do I talk, show my friends who are like freaking out us versus them language, how you show it, that brother comes to you and he, or here's number one, joking, joking about, oh man, who's so gay or whatever it is, such a F three letter word, hmm. like, Hey, not cool. Let's, let's say something else. Stand up, especially with men, guys, I love you so much. But men who are Christians, who are wrestling with their sexuality, they're saying, I'm, I really think there is an especially difficult coming out as a struggler place in the church because it can be more bro, 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 bro. And if you don't fit our stereotype, we are unintentionally marginalizing you. So the only option is for you to come out where it is safe, which is honestly the LGBT community. Wouldn't you rather be a safe space where you can wrestle with anything? So I think the best way is for you to demonstrate it in your language so that someone may actually feel safe coming out to you in whatever form. And then you demonstrate it physically by hugging them after asking permission. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be creepy. <laughs> um, and then just be like, hey, I'll share a tent with you. Find them first. Mm. Be the first one. Mm -hmm. You may get ridiculed, but blessed are you. Mm. You are mocked and ridiculed because of me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I think just hearing that, I'm, I'm curious, and I've, I've heard it. You're on the, the podcast. You were interviewed with Preston Sprinkle, and you told your story there. And it's just a yeah. powerful story. Um, would you mind sharing your story with us now? And Yeah. And if you can, if there's any key moments of, of feelings of rejection, whether it was intentional or best of intentions and it just went poorly. And then yeah. any stories of radical acceptance and things that went a long ways for you. Um, yeah. I'd love to hear that. Yep. 
So grew up in a pretty normal Christian home, minus the fact that I got 11 siblings. So there's 12, <laughs> 12 of me, little me's running around wow. the country. And where do you fall in the midst of that? Are you in the middle I, somewhere? I'm the ninth oldest. Okay. So there's no, no birth order book for me. Gotcha. <laughs> so, um, yeah, eight older, three younger. And I, I loved a lot of it. It was literally chaotic. And I always like to say, I was, I like to be in the chaos, but not of the chaos. I was always like a watcher. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I just like to watch everybody. And I specifically remember when I was eight, just like thinking of all my siblings around in the house and like picturing them and how amazing they were. Like David, he didn't just do great and track. He broke records or Susie. She wasn't just smart. She was valedictorian or like that one was funny one. And what's my identity? Who am I? And I looked down inside of myself and I just felt like I saw an outline, an outline, like a non-person. And I was like, what good am I? What worth am I? And we say this, our ministry is called Hole in My Heart Ministries because we say we're all born with a hole in our heart. So what does that actually mean? What does that hole in your heart mean? And and what we have, I've come to say and find out, and that's been really helpful for me in processing my story back then, but also like living in real life now is that inside that hole in our heart are what we call core needs for nurture, for safety, for purpose, for belonging, for like that feeling of being desired and seen and loved as you, not like for what you do, but for who you are. And so ideally our parents are like this perfect surrogate God, you know, they represent the male and female attributes of God and they meet those needs perfectly. And our siblings support it and the church supports it. And it's, ah, Eden, the fall though. So (laughs) we got the fall and it doesn't happen. And so even though my parents were great Christian people, our, my siblings were amazing. And no one like intentionally was like, yeah, Lori, you're worthless. It was just that my, those core needs weren't met in the way I felt like I needed. Hmm. And they aren't necessarily, nor can they be apart from God. I was meant to be made whole by him with people as the supporting cast. But you don't know that when you're five. <laughs> <laughs> so... I accept Jesus around that same age, you know, pray the prayer. And it wasn't just like a verbal thing. I really believed at a young age, like he was real and he was with me. But also around that age, I had an awareness of my, it's hard to say the word attraction to the same gender. I would say more like intrigue. Like I was way more interested in girls than I was boys. Like boy, I have five brothers, two just older than me, one younger. And then like, I just like, I played GI Joes and I scrapped with them and I punched them in the face and they punched me. Like it wasn't like, yay, boys are interesting. They smell. So, um, was I born that way? I'm always like, I don't know. The best scientists say it's a mix of nature and nurture. And so I, Maybe I have the gene. Maybe I don't. I don't really care. And the Bible doesn't contradict it because Romans 8 says all creation is groaning Mm -hmm. in the pangs of childbirth because of the fall. Mm -hmm. So no matter what, whether I got it or not, I do know that all of us are bent with an orientation towards sin, an orientation toward getting our needs met Mm -hmm. on our own, Mm -hmm. not toward God. Mm -hmm. So growing up, growing up, growing up. There was a few different things that happened where I was assaulted sexually, Mm. where I started to believe like, yeah, Lori, you're seen. That was the biggest core need that barked in me. Well, does anyone see me? And I was like, yeah, you're seen, Lori. I see you, but it's for your body. It's not for who you are. It's for what I can take from you. Mm. 
So best defense is a good offense, I decided, and so I became very flirtatious. Junior high, high school, and I was what you might call a mean girl. Hmm. I'm a part of other people's testimony, and not for good reasons. Hmm. (laughs) So I have heard people share their testimony, and I hear the part about me, and I've had to go and confess that because even though I was assaulted, even though I was – had this hole in my heart that wasn't perfectly met by my parents because they're imperfect. I'm also a sinner. (laughs) And that was real clear, real early on. So I was really flirtatious with the boys because if I could get them to notice me, I was in charge. I was also flirtatious with the girls. But that was all just a joke, right? Hmm. Senior year in high school, I have a real encounter with God on a youth trip a senior stretch is what they called it with ed dobson and he um they sent us off alone in the woods for a while and i became i honestly think it was the holy spirit convicting me that my like good acceptable sins i hadn't engaged in these same-sex behaviors just like a growing intrigue toward women and i would just squelch it down because i had heard enough i had overheard enough talk at church talk on Christian radio to know it was not only a sin, it was the worst sin. Mm -hmm. It was very us versus them back then. It was very political. It wasn't people to be loved as Preston Sprinkle wrote. It was an issue to be like marched in Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. So I have this moment with God where I really believe the Holy Spirit convicted me of my acceptable sins, my mean girlness. (laughs) And I was like, well, everybody does that. And I wept. And so I hear this still small voice say, Lori, I have something for you. And I flip open the Bible to Luke 2, and I read Mary's prayer there. And she says, oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice in God, my Savior, for he has taken notice of his lowly servant girl. Taken notice? That's core language speak. That is, I see you speak. And it was like God cut through all of my meanness, all my struggling, like with some sexuality pieces and this assault that I'd never processed. And I just believe God sent these people to hurt me and he cut through it all. He's like, I see you, number nine, number nine of 12. And I love you. I take notice of you feeling like a lowly servant girl. And I was undone and I wept and I, you know, ideally I would have taken that experience and like gone, gotten some like real good counseling and like worked on my stuff, but I was a senior in high school. And so what I did was what worked and I painted a nice coat of paint all over that mess. And I became, instead of like mean girl, I became youth group girl. And it wasn't that I just like, it it was never like this intentional, I know I'm going to be fake. It was like, this is going to, I love Jesus. I really did whatever, as deep as I know of him, so I'm just going to go do good stuff now. Pick a Christian college, my body starts falling apart. Inside and outside, doesn't match. I start getting three, four panic attacks a day. Hmm. Go to some counseling, helps a bit. I decide to leave the country for a semester and study abroad at Oxford University, but my identity was so based on what I did, I just grew more and more depressed as I'm walking the beautiful streets of Oxford where they filmed Harry Potter and like C.S. Lewis <laughs> wrote Narnia. And I'm, instead of enjoying it and taking selfies everywhere, I'm like digging my nails in my hands, saying my mantra over and over of I hate myself, I hate myself. So I get home and I decide two things that number one, I need God, whatever that means. 
Number two, I really need a human person who can see me. Core need talk right there. So when I met Heather, she's another Christian. It wasn't that I even went into it like, I am going to, I'm going to have a same sex relationship. It was just that it fell into it. And it was both the best and worst thing to happen to me because it was the best in that it wasn't all just this like sin fest. (laughs) There were actually some really good pieces to it in that she saw me and that she, we did in some ways exhort one another to Christ. And she was a friend and I really needed a friend. But it was the worst in the sense that it was like good, but she was never enough. And I knew that I was worshiping a person. And as much as I wanted to worship God and put him first, God would not let me reorder it so that I could both hug God and my idols. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't let it work. And I tried. And I would go to church every Sunday and tears streaming down my face as I heard every sermon felt like it was on idolatry. And I'm like, I know. Then cut it out of me. How do I stop? I was like, Paul, I do what I don't want to do. God, help me. But I didn't know where I could talk about this. I would listen for nuances and pastors' voices. And anytime I heard a gay joke, do you know what I did? Brick wall. Because I had this transparency, I would hold up to every person. Are you safe? Are you safe? Are you safe? Where can I talk about this? Because although it was good, there was a st- still small voice of the whisper of God saying, Lori, I have something better for you. And the moments I listened, I don't always listen. The moments I listened, I'm like, what? And how? And who can help me? Who is safe? And I finally told one person, and it was actually a teacher. She was my professor at my university. She was the first person I told. And the reason I knew she was safe is because she got that grace stuff for herself. I never, ever heard her talk down about LGBT people. Even though back, this was 2007, 2008, you could more acceptably talk negatively and meanly in Christian circles. Mm-hmm. And I, I just had a guess. So those two pieces, humility, grace, and didn't talk negatively. I was like, I'm just going to wing it. And so I told her, and I was full of so much self-hatred. And, but she received me. And she, when I was said, I just vividly remember like, I suck. I suck. I'm a failure. And she's like, is that your name? Is that your name, Lori? Is that what you call yourself? I'm like, I don't know, but she drew me out of my self-hatred. Never once did she say, well, you know it's sin, right? It was like, I knew it. But she just was like, let me, let me emphasize the love and let me show you love. So was it with her that everything grew better? No, but she was a critical stepping stone to the next stepping stone and the next stepping stone. And a friend, a female peer that I told who said more acceptable, accepting words of me, affirming words of me, Lori, when she said, Lori, because I just tell her because I knew I needed some help. I needed a friend to help, like journey alongside me. And I said real quickly, I'm like, but don't worry. Like, I'm not attracted to you or anything. And like, cause I was just scared that every woman would think I just want to like jump them, you know? And some women honestly do think that. And I'm like, okay, anyway, you're not that amazing, but (laughs) (laughs) give me a break. Anyway, she said, that's okay. All of us have that same exact struggle. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I say it to her and I'm like, oh, but you know, I'm not attracted to you. And she's like, Lori, again, catching my eye, Lori, even if you do, even if you do think that I'm attractive, she's like, it's okay. 
I'm not going to leave. I'm all right. So I wasn't responsible for caretaking her insecurity. And that was really relieving for me. So in that season, and I, I won't, I don't like to harp on this too much because the opposite of homosexuality is not heterosexuality. But God did bring a man into my life in that season, I think not to fix me, but to be more refinement to me and me to him, which that's meaning of marriage. Hashtag thanks, Tim Keller. So, <clears throat> no joke. He, he's awesome. Life. That's my life hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh, my word. Hurts. So, oh, he's just so good. Brilliant. Anyway, I can't wait. I want to meet him someday. So, um... There's this dude, I, I am like writing for a newspaper and I'm like, who can I ask to go on this uh, review something with me? And I'm like, who's not creepy? I'm like Matt Krieg, he's not creepy. Hmm. So that was his first characteristic that drew me to him. Not, he wasn't not creepy. <laughs> yeah, good job, bro. So um, I, I talked to him and like, not only is he not creepy, he's funny. And we start developing this friendship and it grow. it becomes clear to me that he's interested in me. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, yeah, you're cute. You don't know anything about me. So like, you don't know what I was doing. Oh, last night. So, but there's something that was attracting my heart to his heart. And there was something not about all men, but about Matt that was drawing me to him. And so Although in that season, so I end up breaking it off with Heather for good. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to tell this dude. Like, this isn't like, oh, five years ago I was doing this. This is like a couple of days. Hmm. And I'm like, but there's something. I'm like, so here's me. And he did the same thing as the other safe people did. Is He is no eye flash. It was because he knew brokenness for himself. He knew people who wrestled with this or were openly LGBT, identified as LGBT. And he said, I don't see you any differently. I was like, so still like want to date this mess? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I do. And so our dating relationship wasn't like dinner and a movie and like batting our eyes at each other. It was like <laughs> a lot of me like grieving the breakup with Heather and him. He's a licensed counselor now. And we always joke <laughs> I was his first client. So not healthy. Not recommended, yeah. but true. <laughs> so it's a typical uh, romantic comedy plot. Yeah, totally, it was in the theater last week. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. And so I, I also told him in that scene, like, so BT dubs. One, never want to get married. Two, I don't want to kiss till I'm married because I knew I didn't want to replace one lust with another. And he's like, okay. He stayed with me. What kind of cray cray? Anyway, uh, we get. To a point where I say, I write down, I remember writing in my journal, I'm like, I don't want to get married, but I want to marry Matt. I did not want to have a stereotypical marriage that I saw. And honestly, we don't always make marriage look so good in the church. Mm -hmm. Looks kind of ragey. But I also <laughs> didn't want to just marry any dude. It was him, my heart connecting to his. So we pray about it. God says no. That's still small voice, like, no. And I'm so glad because God had a lot of heart surgery to do on me. Hmm. So I break up with him, and it was as if Matt and I never dated. I was like, I don't know what that is, but every minute of every day, I thought a woman was right for me. I was going to leave West Michigan. I was going to move to one of the coasts. Hey. Hey, California. Poor <laughs> um, New York. Uh, where California. I didn't, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where I didn't have to be in my, like, West Michigan, Midwest 
Christianville, mm-hmm. or I was going to kill myself. So I was either going to come out or kill myself. And I start seeing a counselor in that time for the depression. And all I wanted to do was for her to just tell me I'm gay and give me a pill for my depression. And she starts asking me these irritating questions that I ask people now. And it's, what do you really need, Lori? When you're, and I'm like, what do you mean? I'm telling you, I need a woman. And she's like, what do you see in her? What are you actually envisioning? And you know what I started saying was not sexual language. It was heart language. Mm -hmm. Those needs. I wanted nurture. I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be cared for. And so I began through recognizing need. I had to recognize my need first. And then she taught me spiritual disciplines. I didn't know what she was teaching me. But that was the avenue to which I got to meet the need meter. And so I made a decision to follow this need meter again, even though I was a Christian. I didn't know how to become more Christian. But I, it wasn't a matter of becoming more Christian. It was about immersing my roots in the deep soil of God's marvelous love. And so I decided one day, instead of two paths, dive in or kill myself, I looked to this third path and hearing the voice of my counselor who said, Lori, it's closer than your very breath. What are you actually craving? What are you actually needing? And I look up and I say, okay, God, if you are who you say you are, if you are the need meter of my heart, then you had better show up. And although I would have wished for like 10,000 angels to like come down and kiss my face and tell me I'm beautiful and wonderful and perfect and like just make it all better. I began to fall in love, not with a guy, but with a God who was the need meter and is the need meter of my soul. So that even today, when I feel still today, I still experience same sex attractions. I still wrestle with this. And sometimes it can be be at that eight, nine, 10 level. 10 out of 10 is like hardest. Sometimes more three, four. So now when I feel that even today, when I can feel that attraction toward women, instead of what the world would say, Laura, you feel this, therefore you are this person. Come out and be free and get those, that need of your heart met. I know, I know it ain't gonna cut it. I know no one, no human can ever see me enough. No, no man can ever see me enough. It's not a matter of exchanging one idol for another. No food can ever fill me enough. No porn can I can ever watch enough that will ever tell me I'm good enough or I'm loved enough or I'm seen or I'm safe. So who, like Paul, who will save me from this life of sin and death? It says at the end of Romans 7, beginning of Romans 8, thank God the answer is Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So there's no condemnation for me. Jesus is the answer, but he didn't make me straight. That's not what he came to do. He didn't come to make us all heterosexual. He came to make us disciples. And so here I am today. Yes, now married to a man, but that's not the indicator of my holiness. The indicator of my holiness is in my ability to surrender all of my hangups, not just my same-sex ones, all of my hangups to the Lordship of Christ and die to self, all pieces of self, so that I can be one with Christ and one with you all, the body, the church. Wow. <laughs> that's beautiful and powerful, so thank you so much.
for, yeah. for sharing You're welcome. that with us. Um, I know and I, and I feel that that would give a great context to Christian educators and on our campus um, bring a lot of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I mean, I want to keep digging in and talking about this more because there's so much to it and maybe yeah. in future conversations and we'll talk about this with each other. And if you do yeah. come out to this area, we'd love to have you. Yeah. Um, but before before we let you go, I wanted to, to try to get a little bit more specific to, um, to teachers. And yes. you brought up that it was a teacher who um, first had, who you first came out to and who supported you mm-hmm. through that. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that, what were the three? It was humility, grace, and not hearing anything negative. Words, yep. yeah. So words. just talking about the LGBT world with kindness. So humility, grace, and kindness, really, hmm. <laughs> about are, LGBT people. Are there any Are there any trigger phrases that <clears throat> that you would hear where you're like, yep. oh, that's that's not safe. Things that mm-hmm. if you were to talk to a teacher and say avoid saying these things in front of your students mm-hmm. because you have students who struggle with this. Are there any yes. phrases that you can think of off the top of your head? Number one I hear is gay lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Remove gay lifestyle. Here's why. What is a gay lifestyle? I was going to church. I was the editor of our newspaper at a Christian university, leading worship, engaging in same-sex behavior with another Christian monogamously. Mm-hmm. Is that a gay lifestyle? What's a straight lifestyle? I mean, is, you know, <laughs> yeah. sleeping around? Uh, is that straight lifestyle? So I, it just shows it just shows ignorance. And I have used it, and so often people are like, <laughs> I literally said it a minute ago. It's okay. Just remove it now. This minute forward, I'm going to try and say instead, so she's engaging in same-sex behavior. She identifies as LGBT, <clears throat> or she is out. So those are just better. It just helps you to just, it's language training, so that you can be heard. I want you to be heard. That's the point. Uh, gay, the gays, that one just makes me laugh, actually, yeah. but it can be really offensive. It just, but it just shows, I'm like, okay, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but it, it, it's, it is not, but that's, 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 that's judgy of me to say. It's more just like, okay, so to say the gays, what's, it, it's very archaic, Uh, it's like talking about, you know, going to the Apple store and saying, do you have like a floppy disk? Yeah. Like, well, yeah, (laughs) no. (laughs) So just to use, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the, the language that's heard. And so you can say instead like LGBT people. So that's, or LGBT plus is what I usually use. Another one is scare quotes around the word marriage. So when people are like, well, same sex marriage (laughs) and um so i understand that what god has brought together let no man separate and so people are like so god didn't bring it together so it's not marriage i hear you and i agree with you but to do same-sex marriage sounds like you are just totally negating that person's entire love. Like they're there. That is their worldview. They wrestled through things. They have fought through things. They really believe they really love each other to the best of their ability. And so it it is not like they're pretending like they got up one day and they're like, let's just do a fake marriage. It's like, no, we really are committing our lives to each other. So it's just kindness. It's the kindness tolerance and of patience of God that leads to repentance. All four pieces are important. That's Romans two. 
Um, and then any joking, again, it's not even a matter of not joking. It's a matter of standing up when you hear a joke. Mm-hmm. So you hear it, and I know you may be like, well, then you are this or that. You're like, well, maybe I am. Mm-hmm. Like, blessed are you when you are mocked and persecuted because of me. And if whatever you do for the least of these you're doing for Jesus, then when you are standing up for the least of these, which is all of us, it's not just LGBT, but it's every, but all of us are really the least of these. But when you stand up for someone, you're standing up for Jesus Christ because mm-hmm. they are an image bearer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trying to think if there's any other. Those are usually the big ones. Really just any us versus them language. It's just right. I try and even remove that at all and because that's where the phrase unintentional marginalization. So people, I don't look stereotypical lesbian person. So I can get in situations where it's like, you know, them, those people, right, Lori, right? <laughs> and all of a sudden I am disembodied because my physical body is allowed to be in that space, but my struggle isn't, mm. my experience isn't. And if I identified, I for sure, you know, I'd feel like, screw you. And not only forget you, forget the church because you are a rep of the church right. and of Christ. Right. And the school for that matter. And the school. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What would you say to, um, if we're talking about safe spaces, um, going back to what you said earlier, um, at various Christian schools and different Christian teachers would hear of a student who is struggling with same-sex attraction, um, and then maybe a student who might say, I'm gay, but is kind of closeted about it, versus even a student who is, let's say, a loud and proud Mm-hmm. Um, gay lesbian student mm-hmm. um, probably at all of those levels I mean even students who would say I'm gay but it's, it's kind of hidden I know that there are teachers in schools whose policy might be expulsion is what we need to do here mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. would you say to schools who would say okay if that's an issue for you then then that's not part of our school culture and then mm-hmm. is it any different for a student who's at a Christian school who's loud and proud hmm. Those are some really, those are some tough questions. I would just say if expulsion of someone wrestling with same-sex attraction or is like gay but perhaps just says this is who I am but I'm not in a relationship, if that's expulsion, then all of us need to be expelled. Yeah. Because I don't know anyone who is nailing it every day. Mm -hmm. And I don't know any of us who don't like, yeah, (laughs) I'm anxious or I'm stressed about this. God, Jesus says, do not worry about anything. I don't know a single man who doesn't struggle with lust. Mm -hmm. I don't know most women, many women wrestle with lust. And so if it's expulsion, then we got to be cutting deep and low and start expelling everybody. Hmm. Or alternative, Jesus, (laughs) who you know, the adulterous woman who's wiping his feet and then the, the Pharisees are all around and they say that, I love this version that says, oh, well, now we know he's not a prophet. Now we know he's not from God because look at who he, he doesn't even know who's touching him. It's a sinner. And I'm like, oh, we know he's the son of God. We know he's from God because he hangs with sinners. Mm-hmm. It's the indicator he is the son of God because he is Emmanuel, God with us. He is God who came low and who gets it. And so I would rather be sitting in the dirt with the sinners 
because I know I'm a sinner, (laughs) than be sitting with the Pharisees who Jesus had some unkind words to say to them and said that this woman, we'll be talking about her forever, Hmm. not the Pharisees. Hmm. So what about the loud and proud person? Now that is a specific institutional conversation that you're going to have to talk about because, you know, people say, you know, sexual sin affects you more, et cetera. So if I just, am going to have to say, if that person is going to be expelled, then you had better be expelling the heterosexual jock who is bragging about all of his exploits as well. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm stereotyping. I recognize I just stereotyped, but I'm just, I'm just saying if we're cutting, we better make sure it's at all of our knees. Right. It doesn't matter if the student is actively, you know, sleeping around with whatever the whole chess team. I don't know. Right. That's a better stereotype. Yes. Um, So this this brings up a really good question. And I saw a statistic recently, and I'd I'd have to look it up. but offhand, I remember it was a high percentage of students nowadays are either exploring or trying um, not just same-sex things, but transgender identity stuff mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. for the sake of its uh, cultural weightiness because mm-hmm. it's cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering because th- as you talk about your same-sex attraction, it realize- mm-hmm. it, it makes – Maybe it's not something I've just realized, but right now in this moment, I realize how heavy it is on you in particular. It's a heavy topic. It's a serious topic. It's not It's not a new shoe. It's not a new uh, hip-hop song that it's just cool to listen to. Like it's, it's a struggle that you face. And I don't know of many other struggles that have that identification factor within a person. And right. so how do we express to our students, one, the validity of the struggle, and two, yeah. that it's not just something that people should just be kind of throwing around like it's no big deal. Because we have right. the side of, you know, the the conservative Christian stigma where, you know, Christians are against gays. But then you have the other societal pool that's just so pro for it that they don't care how people talk about it. Right, right, And so how do we talk to students who um, maybe don't understand that weightiness and want to just try it because it's cool rather than knowing, like, there are people who struggle with this, Mm -hmm. and there are people who are actually going through an identity crisis, whether it's through gender or or sexuality, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's not something to just mess around with. Yeah. You know, that's a really good question. And I've been thinking a lot about that because I've been noticing it, an uptick, I guess, if you will, and especially youth who are just, I'm sure there is a substantial amount who really are wrestling with it. And then there's a substantial amount who are just experimenting. But this comes back to core needs is what you think about a 13 year old girl. And she's like, who am I? No matter what era, no matter if this is cool or not, who am I and do I belong? So basically, worth, am I worth anything? And does am I, am I belong anywhere? Does anyone see me? And so for whatever reason right now, an answer to that, to figure out who you are and do you belong, is to begin engaging in whatever you feel. And what, what, do you, what are the results from that? So you start to see it. You're like, okay, you do start to belong. You also get to, um, you, you can get a victim like, 
you get you get people to feel sorry for you a bit and that feels good like you get noticed uh you get um there's a lot of good things that it's like reaching but it's never going to be enough so how do you convict kids of the weightiness of what they're playing with is going to have to be the spirit of God, but also showing them not a theology of no, but a theology of yes and better, which is how can you actually get those needs met, little 13-year-old girl? You can get to know God. Let's talk about that. So instead of just being like bad, bad, wrong, it's what what you're displaying is evidence to me of what you need, whether or not it's genetic to you, whether or not it's permanent to you. And so let me, let's talk into that. Let's help you identify your real need and let's get at it with the Lord through spiritual disciplines. And so, um, one other piece I will add into that, that I'm seeing is so kids walk around with this little micro computer or everywhere, right? So the cell phone and they are getting addicted to pornography and they're watching pornography. First, it's out of curiosity at a rapid rate. And I'm Mm -hmm. telling you, the dopamine and oxytocin that are released from watching pornography bonds you to your phone. Mm-hmm. And so those neural pathways start to get like developed. And so I just say, I do not think that is unrelated to this conversation. And so if they are watching whatever type of pornography, right. it is going to add into, I'm feeling lonely, but I'm going to, I'm not even going to feel the loneliness anymore. I'm not going to feel that need anymore because I, I just like, I feel a tinge of anxiety and I'm just right. going to, I know how to make it better. And then, well, you know, it, it's becoming less cool to watch porn. It's cool to sleep around with real humans. Maybe it's a little bit better, but it's not covenant. Jam Geller. <laughs> he always can be. He's always relevant. Yeah. So, I know that's a lot. It's a really no, long that's, conversation. That's an exceptional that's point. I remember the the Playboy interview with John Mayer. Yeah. When he talked about his addiction to porn and how he would rather just sit at home and right. watch porn instead of actually go out on a date with a woman. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that... Even though I think, like you said earlier, there's a bro group that a bro can go talk to another bro. I said yeah. bro way too many times in a sentence. <laughs> yeah. But a right but a guy can bro. go talk to another guy about their struggle yeah. with pornography. But at all at, at the same time, we we battle that societal view that still just totally makes it a positive light. Even though there's tons of evidence proving the negative effect, like what you were talking about, and then there's case studies that it actually. Um, lowers our ability to see violence in situations. Totally. And so, mm. um, yep. that's that's actually a really good topic, and I th- I think that's that it helps. That could be another conversation altogether. Yeah. But oh. um, but I think <laughs> oh, just yeah. the correlation with the, what I was talking about or what I asked about, like just kind of leveling the playing field with everyone. And I think you've been kind of saying that through the whole time. It's it's I love your result is it's not behavioralism, but it's responding to sin already knowing that people are sinners. Yes. And and when they're struggling with these things, you don't need to remind them that that's sin. You need to (laughs) remind them that who fulfills that. Yes. Yes. Which is something Tim Keller talks about greatly. (laughs) Seriously. All right. We'll just play his podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and how you, you talked about, uh, in dealing with, people who have same-sex attraction finding the commonality in my mm-hmm. sinfulness. Right. And when it's that core issue, it's, oh, you want to be seen? Like, 
I, I know how that feels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, yep. I'm right there with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's an incredible thought. And I think it'll go a long way for everybody, but especially in, a, in an educational context when you talk right. about your students. If they see that yeah. vulnerability from a teacher who's yeah. like, hey, I'm with you. Like, we're in the exactly. same boat together. Exactly. Um, yes. And with that said, we've had you for over an hour now. So we want to wrap <laughs> things up. But yeah. I just wanted to, if you picture... Uh, you know, get as stereotypical as you want, but p- picture your typical teacher um, mm-hmm. and put them in a Christian context. Um, I want you, if you can, talk to a Christian teacher, just a typical Christian teacher. Mm-hmm. If there's something that you want to say to them, it, it can be related to this issue or something that's just on your heart. Is there anything that you would have to say? I just, I think even just piggybacking on what you just said as far as the that humility grace and speaking with tenderness and I'm just picturing I'm picturing a real cool Christian teacher guy millennial no that's uh, us here's three of them and so just like standing up in front leaning on his desk and just like sharing his story and it doesn't have to be graphic but like hey here is my walk because they will win them over by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And that's why I can't shut up right. is because, and it's not even my story is how to do it. My story is like, can you see any of the gospel in me? Do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then that's what I see this teacher doing like, Hey, I just want to take this whole class period, an hour, whatever. I just want to share my story with you for whatever level of depth. And I just want you to know, I would love to hear if you got whatever you are wrestling with. If you want to say, like, if you're wrestling with your sexuality, if you're wrestling with, you know, pornography, like, say all the scary words. Mm-hmm. I'm here. I would love to chat with you. And if not, just know if in 10 years you remember me and you're wrestling through something, you can come talk to me. Mm-hmm. You know what? That's how I would picture Jesus in a Christian classroom setting is just like, here's me. Mm-hmm. I'm here. He doesn't really have a testimony other than perfect death and life. <laughs> His testimony is the Bible. Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like just leveling eye to eye because that's what he did. That's what he did with a woman caught in adultery. That's what he does with me. Mm-hmm. Well, Lori, um, thank you so much. Before, before we sign off too, I do want to give you a chance. You said that you're working on a book. Um, yeah. You're with, you're with Whole in My Heart Ministries. Yeah. And I do want to encourage, I don't know if it's just going to be how many people are going to hear this, but if you're listening, rep that organization. <laughs> give everything you have. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, um, but, so Whole in My Heart Ministries, it's great. Yeah. Um, I love what you have on the website, just what Thanks. you guys are all about. Uh, I don't know if it was those 10 bullet points numbered off, but... I mean, it was beautiful. I love it. Thank you. Um, but could you spend a minute? I just want to hear about this book that you're working on that you have coming yeah. up. When can we expect mm-hmm. it? Because I want to line up to buy one. It's called Caring Well, How to Care for the Hole in Your Heart. And so it's really just journeying with people. It's a lot of what I said today. And then it's a lot of practical stuff that we do in our counseling ministry, which is a big piece of what we do here at HIMH. And so um, it's really like it's targeted toward people wrestling with issues related to sexuality, but it's, I think people would benefit from hearing. It's essentially me cracking open my heart, letting you in so that you can have a better understanding of people that you love Hmm. and for yourself. And then, um, two, we're actually launching our first conference this fall called caring well. And so, um, 
Preston's going to be the Preston Sprinkle. He wrote People to be Loved, and um, we're going to be doing a bunch of workshops. But it's equipping Jesus followers with a gospel-centered approach to sexuality. And so, again, it is focused on the LGBT conversation. But like you heard me do today, uh, we're going to try and level people out. Hmm. Nobody leaves unconvicted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone. Yeah. Awesome. So and then where little. can uh, people find you? Um, yeah. What are what, what are Worst your handles and websites? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, what are all the stuff? So just go to H-I-M-H, H-I-M-H, hole in my heart ministries.com. And you can just, you can look me up. It's like Lori and Matt on Instagram. Lori, so if you just look up my name, you'll find me everywhere. Twitter, all that. I do the tweets. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. Well, Lori, thank you so much for being so open with us, for being yeah. um, honest. Like you said, nobody leaves convicted. I'm leaving convicted. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for that. Thanks for listening to the Faithful Teaching Podcast. Next time, we'll be talking with Joshua Ryan Butler. He's the pastor of the local and global outreach of Imago Day Community, a church in the heart of Portland, Oregon. He's also the writer of the Pursuing God and the skeleton in God's closet. I believe our pursuit of God is always, if it's healthy, it's always only a response to his prior pursuit of us. Like he is, even in his act of creation, like all, all of life is a response, you know? Like it's, it's, a, it's either a good response or a bad response, but it's all response to the God who's initiated with us. And so, um, and so it's not to say that we shouldn't pursue God, but uh, I think it's a, reframing where the emphasis is and recognizing that when we do pursue God, we're pursuing a God who has already pursued us, come after us in Christ. That when we do love God, it's we're responding to a God who has already loved us when we were his enemies and set against him. And,